0: A good number of years ago, there was a comedian. And he had a routine where he was talking about the family. And he tells the story about the, the child that has brain damage. This isn't brain damage like you and I might at first think of brain damage. No, this is the child that you have to tell the same thing to over and over again. He says, like that little child. And you told him, no more cookies. But they go to the cookie jar, and they reach their hand in, and they grab a cookie. And you tell that little four-year-old, no more cookies. And finally they get it, no more cookies. And Dad's sitting in the living room, and he hears that cookie jar. And he goes into the kitchen, and he says, what are you doing getting in the cookie jar? I told you no more cookie. It's for you. Is it really for you? Or did you just get caught? Or did the little one just get caught with their hand in the cookie jar? Saul got caught with his hands in the cookie jar. Saul was a man who was the first king of Israel, and God had blessed him. God had promised him protection. God had told him, I'm going to do great things with you. And yet, time and time again, Saul would fail to trust God. And he would fail to listen to God. And Saul got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. If you have your Bibles with you, please be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 15. As we continue our study of 1 Samuel, we, we find this idea of Saul and the cookie jar. Only it wasn't so funny or cute for Saul. This morning, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, we want to look at God's instruction to Saul. And then as we look at this chapter, what we also want to do is think about the difference of truth and half-truth. Then we want to think about listening to God today. Let's think about listening to God and notice God's instructions to Saul. Notice, first of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and verse 1, that Samuel the prophet reminds Saul of the relationship that exists between him, that is, between Saul and God. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telium, 200,000 foot, shoulder, foot soldiers, and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, go down from, the Am- from among the, Canaanites, the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. God told Saul, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. Not because God is mean. Not because God is trying to practice genocide. Not because God wanted Israel just to go out and randomly practice genocide because they didn't like a particular group of people. God says, Saul, I'm going to punish this nation for their sin because of how they tried to destroy you completely when you were coming up from Egypt, how they didn't give you safe passage through their land, how they tried to destroy my people. And I'm carrying out this punishment on them, and Saul, I'm going to use you to do that. His instructions in verse 3 were to destroy the nation, to destroy the livestock, to destroy everything. Notice again verse 3. Destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Everything was to be destroyed. And and at first, as we look at the story, Saul is content to obey. He goes out and seemingly begins to do what God has told him to do. Verse 7 says, So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. So if you think about your map in your mind of the modern Middle East, and you imagine Saudi Arabia and that big peninsula coming down to the end, it says Saul completely wiped them out, the Amalekites, all the way down into that Arabian peninsula. And so seemingly, he follows God's command. But there's a problem. He doesn't wholly keep the command of God. Notice verse 8. It says, He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But then, notice this in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So God's command to Saul was, Saul, I want you to go down and I want you to wipe this wicked people off the face of the earth because of their sin and I want you to leave no remembrance of them. Everything they have, everything that they own, I want you to get rid of. And Saul goes down to make war just like God told him to do and to get rid of this sin in the land. Only when Saul and the people saw the good things that the Amalekites had. That they kept. All the other things, the worthless things, the despised things, those things, oh, that was no problem destroying. All went down, and those old Magnavox 20 inch screen TVs he destroyed. But those new LCD 60 inch TV sets, those he spared. The old Pintos that Ford made, he destroyed those, but the brand new Mercedes he kept. But things get worse for Saul. Verse 10 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that they have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. So here's Samuel. This is the man that the people of Israel rejected and said, we want a king. And so Saul becomes king. And Samuel now, even though all that has gone on, now Samuel hearing that Saul just won't keep the commands of God and that God's not pleased with him, now he's upset. He's crying. that The, the God that replaced him, he's crying for. Or maybe he's crying for the people. I guess his, his motivation isn't really clear, clearly stated here. But when Samuel hears about what's going on in his country, When he hears what's going on with the leadership in his country, he is torn up. And he spends all night crying out to God about it. As a side note, when was the last last time you spent all night crying about the leadership of the country? I'm not saying talking to you guys down at the coffee shop the next day about it. When was the last time you you spent all night crying out to God on behalf of our leadership? That's just kind of a side note. Look at verse 12. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded to go down to Gilgal. Did you notice that? After this great victory in which God said, Saul, I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites because of their wickedness, because of their sin. Saul doesn't completely do that. He keeps the good stuff. And then he goes and make a statue for himself. Do we have a little bit of a vanity issue? Do we have a little bit of a pride issue? Look what I have done. I, you know I'm thinking of Muhammad Ali, you know, I am the greatest. You know, God gave me this victory, but let me make, make a statue for myself. Where's Saul's heart? Where is his mind? Where is his focus? Is it on humbly leading God's people as God's servant? Or has he been sucked into the vacuum of power? Saul doesn't do what God tells him to do, at least not completely. And then instead of him following God, he goes out and he makes a statue to himself. Look how great I am. Look at verse 13. As we think about Saul and his work and what he's done. He has forgotten who God is. Remember we began the chapter in chapter 15 and verse 1 with God reminding Saul through the prophet Samuel. God sent me to anoint you as king over his people. I want you to go and do this. But Saul has forgotten that. He's built a statue to himself. Look how great I am. Look at verses 17 and 18. We'll come back to 13 in a minute. Look at verses 17 and 18. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission, and said, Utterly destroy all the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Samuel, a second time, reminds Saul of the relationship. I took you from nothing. I took you from a position in which you thought of yourself as being nothing, little in God's eyes. And, and you are right to recognize yourself as being little compared to God. At that time, that was your attitude. But now you've gotten big in your britches. And you forgot that God made you king. And he made you king for a purpose. To lead his people. And as the leader of God's people, he sent you on a mission, but you haven't done that. Instead, you're going out and you're putting your hand in the cookie jar. And doing things on your own authority. And you've forgotten that God made you king. I think there's something of significance here in this chapter when we recognize that twice now Samuel reminds Saul that God made him king and took him from nothing and made him king. Because Saul is acting out of his own authority. He failed to follow God's instructions. Now, now that we think about what God's instructions to Saul were, and as we think about How he failed to follow that, those instructions. Let's think about this idea of truth versus half truth, as we continue to look at this passage. From God's perception, Samuel, or rather Saul, has turned away from God. He's not carried out his instructions. Remember, as we saw earlier in verse ten, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, "I regret that I have made him king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commandments." From God's perspective, Saul has not followed out or has not carried out his commandments. Didn't he go and make war with the Amalekites? Yes. Did he destroy the things? Some of the things, but not all of the things. In God's eyes, only doing half the commandment is not the same as doing the commandment. We picked on that little four year old going in and getting their cookie out of the cookie jar. You can also pick on the eight-year-old when you tell him to go make his bed, clean up his room. And the pillows are on the bed, but the bread bed's on the floor. Or, I don't know why this comes to my mind, but the Legos are still in the corner. I don't know where that came from. You know, the room is kind of clean, but you still got that pile of Legos over there. The bed's kind of made, but the wrinkles haven't been taken out. The command hasn't been followed. And that's what Saul is doing. He's done part of it, but not all of it. And God says, he hasn't followed my command. In God's perception, as he talks to Samuel, Saul has not obeyed. Now notice Saul's series of claims that he makes as Samuel confronts him. Beginning in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Isn't that a strange way to start a conversation? When you get caught doing something wrong, don't you immediately start out with your defense? Even if the other person hasn't even noticed or said anything about what you did wrong? Hey, Samuel, how's it going? Hey, I carried out God's command. Just don't look over here in the corner and see that, those Legos sitting there. Hey, I made my bed. Just don't look at the sheets. Make sure all the wrinkles are gone. He starts off immediately by saying, I've carried out the command of the Lord. Verse 14, But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the ox in which I hear? Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God but the rest we have utterly destroyed line number one the people did it somebody else did it the people spared the best of the sheep wait a minute now are you leading from behind here Saul because aren't you the king and didn't God tell you to destroy all these things But the people spared. Who's the king? Who's responsible? Who's the leader? Saul says, the people did it. Things continue to go worse for Saul. Verses 17 and 18, we've already read. Verse 19, Samuel says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord God, but rushed upon the spoil, and did what was evil in your sight? Verse 20. Notice Saul's response. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went upon the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agai, the king of of Amalek. Let me try that again and say it correctly. I have brought back Agai, king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, those rascals, the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choicest things, and devoted uh, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord God at Gilgal. You see, that's Saul putting his hand in the cookie jar and saying, It's for you! God didn't say, Take some of the best of the land and sacrifice it to me. God said, Destroy everything. And he hasn't done it yet. But even the sacrifice that he claims he was saving everything for. The text says, the best of everything they kept. All the ugly sheep, all the detestable sheep, all the diseased sheep, all the things that wouldn't be good for sacrifice, good for personal wealth, all those things they destroyed, but not the good stuff. And then when confronted with it, Saul says, well, the people did it. The people didn't obey. But it was because they had a good heart because they were just going to use it to sacrifice to you. Good intentions don't equal obedience. Even if it were the case that the people uh, wanted to sacrifice to God and said, hey, can we hold on to these things to sacrifice it to God, that still wasn't God's command. Even if they had those good intentions, that wasn't God's command. The truth is not the same as a half truth. When Saul tells Samuel, Hey, I did do everything God wanted me to do. No, that's a half truth. You did some of what God wanted you to do. And then when confronted with it, Oh, it's because we wanted to sacrifice with God, or to God. But that's not what God wanted you to do. And so it was a half truth. And again, Saul doesn't say this is what I did. He blames it on the people. He says, I did obey. I brought back Agag. That's not what the command was to do. The command was to destroy Agag, the king. But the soldiers took these things, the people took these things to sacrifice them. That wasn't what God commanded you to do. And so God rebukes Saul, through the person of Samuel, and there's a punishment for Saul, which is an unbearable punishment. Notice verse 20, verse 21 rather, or verse 22 rather. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And there are some powerful things in that statement. Number one, what we learn is that from God's perspective... Just because you offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, that doesn't make God happy. God's not delighted in those things. God does not have to accept your offering and your sacrifice. That's important. We'll come back to that thought later. What Saul says, what Samuel tells Saul rather, is that what God would rather have is that you obey him. He wants obedience rather than sacrifice. And then he says in verse 23 for rebellion is as the sin of divination. What's divination? Divination was the practice of the ancients of taking animals or taking tea leaves or taking animal organs and cutting them up and trying to figure out what the future was going to be based on what those tea leaves said or what the shape of the liver was when you cut it up or how the stars were aligned in the sky. It was the practice of putting your trust in something else to find out what the future held for you. And God is saying through Samuel the prophet to Saul that if you rebel against me, it's the same as looking someplace else for answers. And he's equating what Saul did with rebellion. Didn't Saul do half of what God wanted? Yes. But God counts it as a complete lack of rebellion and disobedience. He calls it rebellion. He calls what Saul did rebellion. And he uses strong language. He says insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. A different way of saying what he just said. Not following me is like worshiping an idol, praying to a false God for your security, for your hope, for your blessings, for the fertility of your crops, for the protection of your land. By not following God, trusting in yourself rather than trusting God. And then finally he says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Didn't Saul do the word of God? He went down and destroyed the nation just like God told him to. He only kept some things to the side. He only reached in his hand to the cookie jar. But remember Saul also took out and built that monument to himself. You see, he was trusting in himself and his own authority, his own power, his own might. And he did not follow what God said. And God equated that to Saul rejecting God. And as a result of that, God says, I'm going to remove you from being a king and a leader of my people. Things get worse for Saul. Look at verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people. And listened to their voice. What a wimp this guy is. Again, the people made me do it. Forgive me. I was so weak. I just wanted to listen to the people. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Because you've sinned against me, not trusted God, or sinned against God and not trusted God, done your own thing, not followed God, he's not going to let you be king anymore. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and he tore it. Saul is wanting to hold on to the kingdom at all costs, that he will do anything to get Samuel to go with him so that he can remain as king. So much so that he hangs on him and it tears Samuel's clothes. Verse 28, So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, that he is, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back, following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And so he goes and he allows him to worship God and to worship with him. But you see, even in the end, with Saul clinging to Samuel, he's rejecting what God has said. That's why Samuel tells Saul, God's not going to change his mind. He's not a man that he can just you're going to just get convince him to change his mind because you're crying like a little baby here. The reason he's taking the kingdom from you is because you won't obey him. You won't follow him. As it was, the kingdom was going to be taken out of your family, out of your hand. But now because of the way you're acting, so much so that you've even ripped my clothes, God's ripping the kingdom out of your hand today. Meaning, I think, in the near future. And giving it to someone else. And we know who that person is. We're going to see that in a couple weeks. But you see, it all started because Saul half-heartedly obeyed. Saul halfway followed God. Saul did not completely follow God. And because of that, it got him into trouble. And God said, it's like, you didn't follow me at all. Don't put your hand in the cookie jar and say, it's for you, God. Follow me with a whole heart. So what does this all mean for us as Christians today as we seek to serve God? It requires us to listen to God and to listen to Him completely. There's a wonderful thing about God, and that is that He's given us His Word as found in Scripture. We can look at the New Testament and we can see that as God's Word. And we can look at the Old Testament and see that as God's Word. And as we study them together, we understand that the New Testament is a fulfillment or a completion of the Old Testament. But you see, the New Testament is what tells us how we are to do things as a church and as Christians today as we wait for Jesus' return. Jesus is that Messiah of the Old Testament that the Old Testament spoke about. Jesus carried out the peace and the sacrifice that the Old Testament spoke about. The Old Testament spoke about that everlasting kingdom of David that God was going to establish on, uh, on David's throne and Jesus was that Messiah. And so the Old Testament is fulfilled by the New Testament and we can look at the New Testament and know this is what God wants me to do. We have that blessing of knowing God's word and being able to follow it. And while we might see ourselves as little, as little in our own eyes, he has made us to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. He will give us victory over sin and death and temptation if we listen to him. Just like he would have given Saul victory time and time again if Saul would have simply followed God. But this is now the second time that we see Saul turning a different direction, not following God completely because of his fear instead of trusting God. We, like Saul, can choose not to follow God with a whole heart. And we need to recognize that God views this as rejecting his word. Saul got in trouble because he didn't completely follow God, he did it halfway. And God doesn't want us to follow Him halfway today. He wants us to follow Him completely, with a whole heart and with a whole mind, doing what He wants us to do. He called going halfway rebellion, insubordination, and idolatry. Acting on our own authority, God equates with rebellion and iniquity, insubordination, and idolatry. How are we tempted to be half-witted in following God? Anytime we make a monument to ourselves. We begin doing what we want or what we think is best rather than what Scripture says. And we use phrases like, Well, God knows my heart. God doesn't really care. God wants me to be happy. Aren't those the same kind of excuses as, The people made me do it? Or the people did it? Or we were going to save it as a sacrifice to you, God. God knows my heart. God doesn't really care. And I had good intentions. It's going to be okay. God wants me to be happy. God does want you to be happy, but He wants you to be happy in the way that He has told you he's going to make you happy he wants you he he does really care he really cares about you and he has provided for you the right direction you can go so that he can care for you and so we use these in divorce and the way that we worship and the way that we teach about how a person becomes a christian or how a person has their sins forgiven when we start to do things half-heartedly god doesn't really care god knows my heart God wants me to be happy. God wants you to follow Him. And He's given us direction on how we do that. We set up a monument for ourselves when we're afraid to talk to the troops. Those around us may be saying something different than what the Word of God is saying. Maybe the troops in our lives, maybe the people in our lives, our family, friends, neighbors, associations that we have, or the world in general. And maybe they're talking from sincerity... Maybe they're talking out of ignorance. They simply don't know any better. Maybe they're speaking out of defiance. But you see, we can be just like Saul who says, the people did this. The people wanted to do this. The people wanted to sacrifice. And when the people in our lives, even if they are doing it from good intentions, even when they're doing it from a sincere heart, if they're teaching something or encouraging us to do something outside of what Scripture says, We need to stand up as God's people and say, this is what God wants. This is what God is teaching. And we need to lead instead of being led. We need to lead to God instead of being led away from God. That's what happened to Saul. And we don't want to fall into the same traps that Saul did. A felon to speak up. We speak up out of love. We speak up out of concern. We speak up because we see the eternal picture as we follow God's command and we know what His promises are and we know that He will follow and keep His promises. There's a third principle here. And that is just because we worship doesn't mean God must accept it. Saul's plan, he said, was to offer these animals as sacrifice. But God clearly said, that's not what I wanted. I want obedience rather than sacrifice. Just because we do something in the name of worship doesn't mean God has to accept it. Consider what God says in the Old Testament uh, prophet of Amos. In Amos chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Listen to these words. I hate... I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we can worship any way we want and it's going to be pleasing to God and God's going to listen to it. But God chooses what worship He will accept. He wants us to follow Him from a true heart, not from ill Formed plans and goals. We need to trust God. Saul was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. It was not a joke for him like it was for the comedian. He offered a half-truth because he was half-hearted. And as a result, he lost his kingdom. We don't have to fall into the same trap. We can follow God from a true heart, from a whole heart. Spending time in the study of his scripture, wanting to find what God's will for us is, and then following that will as best as we can. God knows if we're trying to follow him, and he helps us. But he also knows when we turn aside and we build monuments for ourselves and excuse it by saying, God doesn't really care. God knows my heart. God wants me to be happy. God does want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. He's provided a way for you to have life eternal by being united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. God has a complete plan lined out for you in Scripture. And He's not saying, I want you just to follow the first couple of steps or do just a couple of things. He says, I want you to follow my plan. The whole plan. Because it leads to eternal life. If you're here this morning you want to follow the plan of Christ by being united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, so that you sacrifice that old body of sin so that you become dead to sin and alive to Christ. If that's what you want to do and you want to live for Christ, won't you come now? It's together. We stand and sing.